Hello and welcome. You're listening to Requires Improvement, a podcast that aims to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system from an unashamedly left-wing perspective. With the support of listeners and guests, we want to find out what's going well and what really requires improvement. My name is Charlie and I'm joined by Anu, Nick, Lee and Lauren. And today we're going to be discussing all that's been going on in the last couple of months. So my requires improvement is uh, basically everything requires improvement. Start with a general one. Uh, things at school have not been so fun. Uh, I know for a fact that myself and many of my colleagues have often found ourselves considering other career paths during the more difficult moments of uh, our general week. There's certain times in the week I can basically, you know, set my watch by because they're the ones where I'm really thinking about it and I kind of come back to those notes and go, oh yeah, what was I thinking about last time? It was uh, 2.30 on a Thursday. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that job. Uh, so how would that work for me? Uh, could that, could that, would I be a good at that? How would I transition? I don't know. It's one of those things. I, I'm not I'm not changing everything just yet, but there are things in the works. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not been easy. How's it been for everyone else? Absolute nightmare, to be honest. This, I didn't really think work could feel much worse than it did sort of between September and December. Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> Yay. Really shit. We need specifics on the actual things that have inflicted pain. Um, so basically, and it kind of leads into what's going to be my requires improvement anyway. So I'm not going to sort of dwell on it too much. But essentially, um, again, lack of acknowledgement from members from up, you know, SLT and execs that, um, you know, that actually a, a pandemic is here is, is a thing. Um, and therefore, you know, the books can't all look lovely presented all the time that, you know, I've already got kids out left, right and centre um, and the additional workload that comes along with that um, and just being monitored more than I've ever been monitored in my career. That's just a few of the little nuggets right there. So people doing learning walks on online lessons? Uh, yeah, well, I've had that. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, that that was, you know, lockdown times yes of course we had all that going on um but now it's literally i i've even been seen like in my tutor times i've even been like observed and checked up on in tutor time like registration please <laughs> you, I, I i genuinely and the language that is being used around cracking down on the kids and their behaviour and but essentially cracking down on us. Um, some of the language that was used around staff was pretty, pretty demeaning, actually. And I've never, I've. it's not often that I sit in a meeting and think, oh my God, like you are literally talking to me like a child. Like you are talking to me like I'm one of the children. Um, and that just is another layer of all of the shit sandwich that um, I'm currently having shoved in my face the relish on the shit sandwich oh yeah oh yeah it is it's the garnish it's the piccalilli that uh, lovely that, that's not real piccalilli uh, but Lauren <laughs> have some sympathy for your managers they've had not a lot to manage for, for so long it's been, it's been building up a bit like this podcast <laughs> Uh, the thing is though like managers that, tears are a thing it's like white women's tears isn't it <laughs> a, 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 a sturdy mug of managers tears <laughs> I actually 
actually had, we had this at our work. Um, this was actually prior to um, the second lockdown when, you know, I think, school, yeah, you didn't go into schools, did you? Second lockdown. November, but we were sort of going in um, and we'd had like, something added to our workload so something we weren't doing before that was added to our workload to justify us going in which was still wasn't essential business but it didn't matter but we had a um a meeting to discuss the inappropriate uh risk assessment that had been done so it just didn't cover anything and our manager at one point said to us in this meeting just like I just feel like you'd be happier if you weren't working at all. Um, and no shit. Yeah, I uh, mean, yeah, um, a, yeah, mate. A, yes, but um, B, no, I'd actually much rather be teaching than doing your um, bullshitty admin job that you're sort of classing as essential for some reason. So, yeah, manager's tears definitely a thing. So the thing you need to remember with uh, management going and doing lesson observations on people. January and February of this year, of 2021, will be remembered in uh, probably in therapy sessions in years to come. Um, it'll be the year that teachers had to like completely relearn how to do absolutely everything. Like delivering stuff online is, like, I mean, there's some things that work kind of fairly seamlessly, um, but there's other things that are just completely new. And hopefully we'll never have to do anything like that again. So management coming and inspecting people, trying to like drive out standards when the whole, the whole, we're not an industry. What are we? The whole profession sector profession uh, is learning a new thing. It's like walking onto the fucking surface of Mars and trying to work out what it's like. Um, and then they're coming and just inspecting and seeing if people are doing it right when there's actually no one knows what, doing it right is and actually can't yeah, and it's do not it actually right. my job it's not actually my normal job like yeah so i mean like, these people they just they, they should have something better to do uh and if they don't they should skive off and do nothing instead because it's not helping schools it's just pissing off teachers and winding them up uh and it's not actually helping anyone it's crazy but it seems to have got worse since i've come back like the actual just really double down on everything just it's just trying to control everything but it's about controlling the things that are quite a surface level so you know how the class looks how do the books look what's the behavior look like and actually i'm yet to hear any real sort of proper teaching and learning like none of that's really been mentioned it's all about procedures policies making everything look nice um and it's just like and you're like this isn't this isn't really what's important right now. Like I should have, instead of being anxious that I was going to be doing the wrong thing constantly because we had all these new policies and procedures thrown at us and new routines and behavior and whatever for the kids, instead of actually being like, oh, this is the time I'm seeing my kids in the first time in a couple of months. I'm really excited. And actually I was really excited and looking forward to seeing them. Um, and my headspace should have been, how are you? You all right? Making sure, just looking for little signs that maybe X, Y, or Z isn't properly okay. Or, you know, that maybe someone clearly needs a bit of help. Maybe someone's struggling. Instead of my headspace being on that and just genuinely the excitement of seeing them and having them in my space again, it was just terror, just that I'm going to 
basically SLT members going to walk in and I've fucked up something. I haven't said the exact right thing on the script or I've, do you know what I mean? And and that just constant with already the anxiety of COVID and well, it's been, God, like I'm starting to forget my family look like I haven't seen him in so fucking long. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all of the things. And I, I, I had to remind a member of SLT that I'm also a human being who is going through a pandemic myself. Um, and I shouldn't have to fucking point that out. Excuse my language, but I, it, yeah really really rough time at the moment and yeah I, I've been you know I've been doing okay and I've been getting through it and the kids genuinely are quite happy to be in my lessons and I've over the last couple of weeks managed to get myself to a point where I'm like no no, no this is what's important to me and this is what's important in my classroom and and I'm not going to let all the rest of it compromise compromise completely compromise my morals I ain't gonna have that that's not gonna happen because otherwise it will get to the point where like I can't be in this system anymore I have to leave because I want to look at myself in the mirror and not think yeah you're a shitty sellout I can't yeah sorry I had to go on but it is it's, it's been very emotional it's been really hard yeah it's been it's been really rough like yeah there's there's teachers that I know I was doing um like the work in class, like being there for a year six um, bubble during the lockdown. But there were teachers who were like covering those classes, doing the online stuff from home, who had been working from seven o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night, you know, to get the content. All the time when the children were in school, like they weren't able to get any planning or any recording for, you know, next lessons done because they were too busy responding to things. And, you know, I was doing my best and we were a really good team. And like, uh, they even said that and that we had, you know, a good situation. I think that the situation I had in year six was better than what was going on in any of the other bubbles, to be honest. Um, but it still was so rough. And what that required, if you really want to get it done, was time, so much time. And when I listened to, even generally speaking, what the year six teacher, this, this amazing woman, what she does to get through um, her weeks, it does not make me think that this is a profession that... <laughs> really caters for the family you know the fact that she's got two children and she got to like um a lot certain times that she, her bath time basically she has like a you know a weekly a weekend bath that's that happens in the morning is time where and that's on Sunday the, the kids you know always in there with her because after that she's got to be planning um all day and they won't get to see her again that most Sundays and the bath that's, time it's the only time that you can't do marking at the same time, isn't it? Because well, stuff, yeah. stuff will get wet. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Although if you have like um, a, maybe an iPad that has a special Ziploc bag, maybe you can get something done there, so at least on when things are online. I don't know. Top, t- top tips for reducing workload. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. This is a mental health tip from straight first on T. Um, yeah, it's wild. Um, every... Every passing year makes me more shocked at how much people have to do to just keep afloat, let alone to do an outstanding job that makes themselves feel, you know, proud of what they do. Um, yeah, it's it's a shock. So to wrap up that, because we probably keep going. Oh, on I don't know. I've oh, gone. Go me, on. Let me have a go. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> right, so I, this is slightly more upbeat. Like, a, the, the, like the two months were horrible, like really, really mm-hmm. horrible. And definitely the first two days of it, I was like sweet we won we beat the government um we don't we don't have to 
subject kids to the plague factory and we will literally save thousands and thousands and thousands of lives by doing what we're doing. First two days, like, sweet, wake up late, don't have to commute, make coffee, sit, read Lenin while I'm waiting for kids to do the activities, like all this kind of stuff, feet up, you know, in my little office room type thing. Um, two weeks in and it was just the most, one of the most depressing times of my life because it was just ultimate capitalist realism of you don't have any connections to any other human beings in the flesh you get up you work you sustain yourself in some way yes you can go for a walk but you can't do anything else like the weather's terrible um nothing's open and there's not really any end in sight like they might have they came up with a roadmap and stuff didn't they but it was still like very deep dark yeah and again you see you know every so often you look at the vaccine things like oh 20% hooray um, of people vaccinated maybe we're nearly there but it's not there and it's like and then the actual job itself like was like teaching through a letterbox it's like kind of being at so, mm. outside someone's house bending over putting your face to the, the grill and going hi everyone hello yep yeah I, did you get the sheets the sheets did you get it yeah <laughs> okay no no not that one oh that and that's what every day was it was like five hours of literally just like small little tasks you're trying to get through a an internet letterbox to some kids who yes obviously they're doing everything they can to avoid doing the work fair play I, well some of them, not all of them some of them are doing the work and really appreciate it some of them are coming up with really creative ways of getting around it and we're gonna have to we have to try and chase them even though we're not there and their parents don't care so how are we supposed to make them make them care and it's just like this thing that's not appreciated about teaching and every time they try and say make the holiday shorter they don't get it because when you when a monkey sees another monkey eat a nut the little bit of that first monkey's brain goes mm, nuts okay this is a very basic thing lauren correct me if i'm getting <laughs> the science wrong here but similarly if a person sees another person in pain they feel a bit of pain okay if a person sees another person who's anxious you feel anxious if someone else is happy you feel happy okay now you're a teacher and you've got 30 little bags of hormones in your classroom and that hour that you're in with there with them, you're pulled backwards and forwards by their emotions and their feelings. Like it is a very, and that, that requires like a lot of, a lot of energy and skill and training to manipulate. And that you have to give a lot of right yourself. Direction. Yeah. And you give, and it, it, you it's an incredibly so tiring thing. Like that one hour in front of those people, getting them to do the right stuff is really hard. But you, the benefit of that is you get little bits of adrenaline back. Okay, when stuff goes well, when a kid goes, oh, I get it, you get little bits of something back. Okay, and that's what makes the job worth it. When you have a good day and you're on fire and the lesson goes well and kids are learning, they're vibing, you're vibing, it's all vibes. Okay, fuck off, they're just vibes. And the teaching online, you do not get that. So you are just pouring your energy and enthusiasm which you're having to use more of because it's really weird artificial situation you are pouring that into a fucking bottomless cavernous void yeah and you're just pouring bits of yourself into that thing and watching it just sort of circle around in this void and it doesn't even set on fire or anything it just sort of disappears at the bottom of this blackness and you're doing that every day for two months so for me coming back to school it was like sound <laughs> let's go fuck it let's go back to school sweet that was that was great i couldn't really do that for much um 
for much longer. Um, and then another thing on top of that was the second I got back to school, there was a massive cyber attack. So uh, my school and lots of other schools in the area did not have computers for two weeks. And a lot of teachers have lost 25 years worth of work. Now, I haven't lost that work. and I feel massive solidarity with the people who have. We're going to do some union action. But the thrill of just being in the classroom, kids turn up. I'm like, hmm, I've got some textbooks that everyone else in my department told me to throw away. But I was like, no, I'm going to keep these forever. Like everyone should with everything. And uh, now I'm just teaching out textbooks, literally just chatting complete shit to the kids. They're talking and I write some stuff on the board. And that, that was a delight. That was a delight. I've, I, it's been the first time I've actually enjoyed teaching for maybe a year, I would say. And um, you know and what? So that that's what annoys me Yeah. about my situation because that's what I want. That is what I wanted. I was like, I miss this so much. And yes, actually teaching through teams was much better than I anticipated and the kids. And actually I had, do you know what? The amount of appreciation I had from parents and kids, I, I was... I've, I was really surprised and really touched and really moved by some of the lovely emails. Um, it's like quite directly sent to me from parents saying how their students really enjoy my online lessons. I make it interesting and try my best and they could see the amount of effort. But I was so looking forward to that. I was like, yes, I'm going to get to see him. I'm going to get like, and to have come back to then literally, essentially the most oppressive sort of inspection framework regime I've ever been subjected to in my professional career. Um, I'm, I'm so angry. I'm so angry that they've taken that from me. No, like, I, I, and, and Lauren, full credit to you for clinging on to your sense of self throughout this. I do believe, you know, based on your, your account of what you're going through this entire academic year, I think you, I think you've got it the worst in terms of management approach. I I was approaching my limit of of how much I could give. You had to give so much of yourself and get so little back. Um, I do just want to share one little anecdote. Um, it, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about uh, decolonizing education. And uh, we've been taking a, a critical review of our uh, transatlantic slave trade scheme of work. And I, I, I poured, you know, what little energy and reading time that I had into really specking up the lesson on slave rebellions, really trying to map the, the, the agency of, you know, the descendants of captured Africans in terms of how they turned the tables. They changed the sort of the, the, the dynamic to make slavery less profitable, to put the fear of God into all the slave owners you know and I produced what I thought was a and indeed maybe time will tell uh, I thought it was a great lesson because I'd researched it I'd found quality video resources that I'd edited I put together custom worksheets for it differentiation it was a bravura performance and nothing will ever well I hope I never feel this again as I was teaching this lesson to a year eight class I saw them one by one leave the call <laughs> <laughs> literally vote oh with it was when I it was when I told them there'd be reading that, and they voted with their feet and by, honestly by the end of the by the end of the lesson I had one student left and I, I had to give him credit I was like Stephen May I'm not going to make you do the plenary you, you've already won <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I never want that experience to be repeated. But I, what I will say, just to close this section off, going back to school was a thrill. It was great to be with the students, be with, be with my colleagues again. But we are still dealing with a very compromised situation. You know, I cannot go beyond the two metre line at the front of the room. I cannot 
keep standards high so that's that's why it's so insulting that management would be focusing on standards at the moment because i'm you know literally by health and safety measures prevented from doing all the things that i would do in terms of owning the space checking on each individual student there's still such huge barriers in my way and 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 i i can't see that changing for the rest of this year to be honest um and, and that's depressing but we always knew this intro bit was going to be a slog to, to, to even remember, <laughs> to even recall this stuff is in itself an ordeal, but Charlie. It, it, it is an ordeal. And yeah, we sort of, yeah, keep, I, I was wrapping up and then you're wrapping up and now it's sort of making me think that it's, it's worth saying, like, the longer it goes on, the more I'm conscious of the fact that in order to keep all the classes social distance, but to not be on the field at my school because of the weather, most of the time, like it gets so muddy that, you know, the children get covered in mud if they went there at the moment. Um, they have these tiny sections of uh, concrete blocks, like like sort of square, square shapes. And there's some classes that have a bit more room because there's a lot fewer children. But I feel like when they, they map that out, they didn't even take into consideration the size of the classes like some are double the size of other classes they've got similar spaces of room sometimes like the smaller classes have actually have more room for some wild and peculiar reason and the behavior of the classes with the few the smallest room not only is generally worse but it's definitely made worse by that like they they go wild and I just sort of think back to when I was at school the space that you had in break time and lunch so it's not something you wouldn't articulate but um when things changed in my in my playground area that we never lost space we never lost space but when things were concreted over we lost the pond at one point there was another little pond that obviously couldn't be bothered um with that after a certain point when we lost certain trees every tree I remembered and every tree had a purpose in the playground they have no trees no trees they have no grass most of them and it's wild and I really feel that the senior leadership have no recollection of the joy of a playground and, and what that means to you and what every little you know activity space um, of its difference, of its, you know, climb on that, play in this, you know, whatever it is, how much they mean. And it, it, it breaks my heart to know that these children who, while they do annoy me at times, I do think they're fantastic. And they, so many things that they do are awful um, in that moment might well come down to the fact that they just haven't gotten by any means what they need to get off their chest um, out of their system in the brief time they break because they're in these horrible spaces. Like they, this is what, worse than, I imagine workhouse children probably had more room than some of my kids. Workhouse children. I would, I'd bet my life on it. I'd quite like to see a, um, like a hard hitting South Korean uh, film about class, which has just like uh, kids with like bits of a, bits of a concrete, uh, playground marked out and all the all the class differences of the class that gets more space than others and then like a little bit of turf appears just like in a little tray and they get to share the turf or like a little little bonsai tree <laughs> that they get to have on rotation like i think that'd be quite good like a mixture of parasite and the platform yeah snow piercer in there as well <laughs> joke that when the year five saw that the year fours briefly went into the year fives area just before they went out to play because the year fours were having a bit of a PE session with their teacher 
when they got out there, they were feeling so vindictive that they kept on running into the Air Force base and like knocking all their stuff over because they were so angry at this outrage. The tiny space that they had was was being occupied by these children, even for the briefest moment, because even though that's mad, it's also in a way completely makes sense because it's like how they were feeling like we've got the tiny space. How dare you, even for a second, even for no particular reason? Like it was it's turf war. It's turf war. Like there's all sorts of things. I can list off all the bizarre things that they do, but it They should use piss to mark it out, really. <laughs> yes. Thank you for your suggestion. Probably would if they would all piss on yeah, the lines it would also save some <laughs> toilet trips so that would fix a few problems but um i'm gonna i'm gonna file that under disgusting ideas i will not do <laughs> thank you for the suggestion you don't need to piss anywhere <laughs> I can be within the two meter um, line yeah. yeah absolutely all right so with that third attempt of moving on let's move on <laughs> so i believe next in line to discuss what requires improvement is Lauren. Yeah, so um, with this came up today, in fact, five hours ago, um, so very fresh, hot off the press, um, Gavin Williamson uh, has announced his new plans to tackle bad behaviour in schools. So as you're probably getting the sense of someone who is uh, experiencing what that kind of looks like on the ground, um, this is this is not going to be good. So the plans are essentially part of his key pleasures, uh, banning mobile phones because kids have had enough screen time, allegedly, and they should have good old fashioned play, Charlie. So I thought you'd appreciate that considering, you know, the absolute cuts to PE and anything creative or active in schools um, and, you know, selling off the, the fields so that, you know, Barrett or whoever the fuck can build a nice housing estate on it. You know, so that's part of his plan, number one. Um, good old-fashioned play matters to him. Um, and a £10 million fund, um, a £10 million fund for a behaviour hub programme, which allegedly is going to begin in the summer term. And it involves utilising advice from 22 lead schools. I can imagine already, I can imagine the names of some of those lead schools that are going to be involved in this um, with good reputation, behaviour and discipline to assist and advise other schools struggling in that area. So essentially, he's basically going, who are the map bosses that I like, who've got this lovely Tory model of what I want to see schools look like, and I'm going to get them, give them a bung up and get them to go and basically enforce that on other schools. Um this is just shocking. The fact that the audacity of, of of Gavin Williamson to claim that he cares about a children's mental health and well-being, like um, they need good old fashioned play. The fact that um, he, you know, the fact that that he thinks that behaviour is the problem. That in a time of what's going to be a massive mental health crisis that we're going to face, a huge mental health crisis in our young people, um, that the way to approach that is by doubling down on discipline. And he's even said about, oh, don't, you know, I'm ha- I, I want schools to use things like exclusions and detentions and suspensions. So again, this is essentially going to be attack- an attack on the most deprived children in our society. It's going to be the kids that go, you know, that, that um, haven't maybe had the parents that have been at home so generally your frontline key workers who let's face it are quite often the lowest paid workers in this country um so it'd be parents that couldn't be around or parents that 
haven't got the capacity or the will to be around. So already the most vulnerable kids are basically now it's just it's just a, a doubling down on them um and it's just going to result in if, if this happens and he gets his way then we're just going to see rising exclusions again um we're going to see all of the things that we know really really uh, are detrimental to the most vulnerable kids in society and i love the fact that they're happy to just grab 10 million pounds out of the out of allegedly the magic money tree that doesn't exist when trying to get them to feed these very same kids uh was apparently a bit bit too much for them um so and the thing is that will just on the ground what that's going to look like is exactly what's happening to me where teachers SLT's time is being taken up with walking around classrooms and making sure that teachers are sending kids to isolation that teachers are giving the warnings that teachers are doing all of those things and it's just going to create the most toxic of toxic environments in a time where actually some of us just need some love like what happened to what happened to that gaff? Like what happened to putting that ten million into I don't know thrive for schools or you know making sure schools have counsellors or increasing the number of um, assisted like support staff in deprived schools? Why don't we do that instead? Because uh, yeah, I, I reading that I, I just couldn't get over it. I was like, are they being serious? Pretty sure his his line as well back in I'm not sure earlier this year maybe like. Last year, um, after the kids going and teachers being fully full time back for a while, was to praise students for their resilience and their um, ability to sort of like uh, do what was what was needed to sort of like um, live during the pandemic and and survive and like work in the in the education environment so he's comp- he's completely sort of like contradicted his last um sort of stance on this as well yeah to hammer yeah. kids to hammer kids for not being well behaved enough and again and sort of implicitly teachers as well for not having enough control over kids at this moment where everyone's just in pieces and trying to do their best um it's just really awful like, i think I, I can't in my head i can't like work out if it's actually it's just a thing they're going to say because they quite like doing this. They quite like just saying we're going to drive up standards and then kind of never really following through with it. But at the same time, this was the, what it was one of the few bits about education in their manifesto was about um, bringing in like very harsh discipline because I think it's just, it's an easy thing to say. Um, also, you've got like the Burble Singh school, the Michaela school. Yeah. She loves. She, so they're, they're modelling it on that. It's like the silent corridors yeah. thing. Silent corridor. All kids silent. It's like basically turn the whole school into a giant naughty step. Yeah. No one's allowed to talk. Everyone's got a lot of time to think. You don't need counsellors. Genius. Um, but it's like the phones thing again. It's like I can't tell. I think it's like a thing they, they will just say because they can keep wheeling it out every so often they can then go oh well we tried to to ban phones and actually it's the phones that are the, the problem not you know looming threat of climate catastrophe 10 percent funding cuts, inequality um general <laughs> hunger inequality the curriculum is really abstract and really boring and no one cares about it um you know all the teachers are too stressed to care anymore um and they can just keep winning out the phones thing i can't see them doing it it's kind of you know if you can't if you can't make the food healthy in schools even with 
Saint Jamie Oliver, peace be upon him, doing his, <laughs> his very best to make food healthy. You can't achieve it then. I don't see that. Although I have seen some absolute idiot Labour councillor teacher types um, saying, well, well, I support bans on phones because my school's got it and it's fine. It's like, yeah, but don't you think it's a really dangerous precedent for the DfE to just start making stuff up and forcing all schools to do it? Because they will do that with everything if you let them yeah. do it. So I, I can't see the phone thing happening, but I think we'll just keep hearing it getting battered around again. And they will build this, they will build a movement to bring in really authoritarian um, behaviour stuff, which to be honest is why Gavin Williamson was talking in the NASUWT conference. Like when you hear that scab union, um, when you hear them talk <laughs> about kids, and this is what Kevin Courtney said to us when we were at that union uh, disco thing. Uh, oh. We talked to him about the NAS and he was like, well, I don't, I don't lie with him here, but I think, I think it's true. We had a conversation where it came up that it sounds a bit like the NAS just hate kids. They constantly talk about, it's, it's true. They talk about behavior, but there's a lot of like anti-kids. So they're never really talking about kids. They're, they're just always like, or education. They're talking about teachers, professionals. So Gavin Williamson coming in and speaking at their conference, mental. That w- imagine if someone had done that to the NEU conference. It would stuff would be on fire. Stuff would be on fire. It would he'd be dead actually. Maybe we should invite him because he would just be killed. Yeah. Um, but like we'd all just be standing up and shouting shame. Was it not remote though? Is there a possibility that they were able to get away with it that year? Because anyone like I'm, I'm speaking very positively about them, obviously as a union, to say that they might anyone who would be outraged, like they're on mute. So it's a good sort of year to test that out. We should kill your union officials to let it happen then. Because they'll be easier to find. (laughs) Oh, hello, teacher union. Uh, You've received, uh, yeah, you know, now we're not in the conference hall. We're not in the conference hall together, so you can't get your sandwiches on expenses. But we're going to pass off a little bit of boot, okay, to every one of your houses. And you can give that a fucking good chew. Delicious, mm, delicious boot while we do the conference. And that's literally what that is. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. We have Marcus Rashford, so fuck the NASWT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The person that actually, yeah. I, I mean, that, that's the whole thing, though. I just, I do worry, because as soon as you said that, 22 schools, I just instantly thought Michaela's school, and I instantly thought, oh, my God. And, but, I mean, it's like they're trying to use any opportunity they can use this coronavirus pandemic to create this Tory gagrind 1900 style of education where the kids are just sit in rows, face a teacher, be silent and be grateful for every little fucking scrap they get. Um, do you know what I mean? It's like, and, and the, the idea that this is preparing them for any of the world that's actually around them. It's like, I, I just, I do feel like the Tories or some of them, especially like Gavin and, and Michael and, and the rest of them, just they they live in this sort of weird, like sort of yeah, like turn of the cent- turn of last century, um, like paradise where they're just they just want all the little working class kids to be well if they could bring back workhouses they would let's face it like. I think they've just, haven't they just, uh, yeah, haven't they just announced like a whole lot of funding as well for like uh, cadets programs in schools? Um, like someone pointed out that they can't, they can't fix the fact that those same kids will be starving at home. Um, but they've just decided to pump a whole load of money into like basically 
military programs in schools. So I think it's, it's quite, yeah, it's kind of clear where they're where they're going. It ties in with a lot of other things that we might talk about today as well. Uh, oh yes, uh, me and me and Tom intend to do a um, a future episode where we invite some people from like the. Um, I've got one of the books up here. It's the the peace project, you know, like that. The, there are like good campaigners out there challenging militarism in schools. We want to we want to do a deep dive on that in the future. But yeah, I my my requires improvement coming later. We'll touch on all of this in extremis. So yeah. Hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, I feel like we're sort of wrapping up on Lauren's one, but just to sort of add, like, I think it's really important to mention the fact that there are behaviour issues, then they are bad and they do need addressing. It's just what he's saying is completely um, not going to fix any of the real problems, like saying about the space. Like, I find the children are being more violent towards each other because of the lack of space. Like, they, some of them don't even get balls anymore because they've misused their use of the football and because to manage that behaviour, what they're doing wrong there. They're just getting tired and they're just play fighting and the play fighting is leading to hitting and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like the behaviour is bad in the classroom to the point where there's certain classes in certain times of day when I'm on my own where they've gotten so bad I can't I know I'm not teaching anything I'm waiting waiting for quiet but um, I'm not getting out in any you know time nor are there kind of appropriate consequences for that in any way that is productive and supportive of the reasons why they're being so uh, inappropriate and not conducive to their learning at all and this is another huge one that I I will mention but I think maybe again probably needs some further further analysis the bullying is bad but the also the nasty comments I'm noticing more and more and it'd be interesting to get a quick um kind of um show of hands who else has noticed this but the anti-asian sentiment particularly anti-chinese that's coming through with my primary school children is starting to become notable that it's clearly related to you know conspiracy and anti-asian sentiment generally around the the pandemic like children saying things like um you know you're asian your mum's chinese that sort of thing uh, there's another sort of line that I can't remember it, but any of the point is like that there's a serious feeling, I think, among the children that because uh, my my school doesn't have any Chinese children. And I sort of wonder what would happen if it would have been addressed more if it has. But it has a lot of like Pakistani children, things like that. So for them to like know um, that the children are Asian and then the links there to be like, oh, well, yeah. and this is almost you know, every child in the school is BAME. And so they know racism is bad you know, that is something that's aware of, but it doesn't stop the the fact that, you know, if there's something, if there's a stick that you can beat someone with and um, you're already feeling, you know, bad about things in general, I don't know where it's coming from, but it, it ain't good. And No, but this won't solve it. Sorry, mm, but this is no, no, Williams' proposals. Yeah. And I'm not saying that learning, you know, oh, you know, we, we shouldn't think about, you know, obviously there must be a level of behaviour that requires learning to happen. No one would ever say that, and I would never say that. But this approach is not going to change anything or solve anything or do anything except just stress everyone out and make everyone feel worse. Well, I was just going to say that the, the China thing is interesting because it's like, I think that's a curriculum problem, isn't it? It's like you've got a planet where, was it like over a sixth or one in six people on this planet 
live in this one nation that has existed for thousands of years continuously, but kids in the UK could go through an entire their entire state curriculum and not hear the word China. Like literally could never learn anything about China. And the kids in my class, if you bring up China, it's either, and obviously do the Donald Trump voice because it's so funny, that China, but they, if you bring up China, they'll go, don't they eat dogs? Literally, that's the, that's the first thing they say. They always say it. Someone will say it. And you've got to go this huge thing of like, yeah, yeah, whatever you eat cows or whatever. well, I don't know, whatever. And um, the only other thing they'll do is like in the old coronavirus because uh, someone at a bat. That's literally it. That's literally it. Chinese people are weird and they eat weird stuff. That's literally it. This country <laughs> is huge. It's the most significant thing. They're the first people that aliens would talk to if they landed. I would say because it's the most it's the most accurate snapshot of of of, of the planet. But it's also like mental as well because the UK. But again, it's it's a history problem. Like we we there was there were opium wars. <laughs> we got a country addicted to drugs <laughs> and ha- had a war with them. But they don't know that, and their parents don't know that. So it's just not even there. And it's it's a curriculum thing. Like yeah, the racism stuff. Yeah, and that's like the limits of just like doing kind of um, anti-racism. Don't be horrible to people. But it's like well, if the only contact with a Chinese person. And they don't even say like Chinese food either. They probably have Chinese meals, takeaways and stuff, but they literally just, yeah, literally dogs or bats. That's it. And it is, it is, it is terrible. And it, that, the, the, but the sinophobia in just general UK culture is really bad. And um, yeah, it's getting big. Yeah. It's good to kind of look at it every sort of yeah. thing. All right. So with that jolly little end to Lauren's requires improvement we'll move on to Nick who's got more joy for us all would you like to share Nick more racist <laughs> more racist kids um cool so uh question for you all what would you do this is a safeguarding question this is like an interview question what would you do if there's a kid in your year nine class right and in various lessons he defends uh the Churchill Churchill's decisions around the Bengal famine because he said it was necessary to take the grain away because there was, I don't know, other people that need, other white people that needed it more or something like that. Um, if he mentioned uh, No Nut November, uh, if he asked you, Sir, have you heard about this new sexuality? It's called Super Straight. It's where you don't, where you agree to not ever sleep with trans people. Um, the same kid also says uh, that women, uh, even bad women, always get custody of the kids in a divorce. <laughs> and um, another kid. Oh, no, sorry, this is all the same kid, by the way. Um, this is a, this is an interview question. Uh, if the kid says out loud to the class, "Do you want to hear a real way to work out what gender you are?" Um, what, what would you guys think about this? Um, he's been radicalised um, quite severely. You'd be reporting it to whichever safeguarding lead and it should be a prevent issue at this point because this is serious, serious radicalisation. And weirdly, I've just finished a book about um, 
by Laura Bates called Men Who Hate Women. And it's about um, boys and who get radicalised um, and it's about incels and various groups. But all some of the things you're saying are literally some of the things that I've just been reading about that terrify the shit out of me. Well, this kid's... His name is Keir Starmer. <laughs> <laughs> and that young boy's name? That's <laughs> uh, not Keir Starmer. But he, no, it's, um, yeah, literally, literally, you know, kid, he's, he's quite, um, he's quite vulnerable. He doesn't really have friends in his peer group. I think he's, he's, he does quite a lot of stuff to try and impress other people. But it's, it's interesting because sometimes you can have a good conversation with him. Like he is a learner. He goes off on the internet and he learns things. He finds out about stuff. He follows the rabbit hole where it leads. But unfortunately, it's leading him to absolute garbage. Um, and it's interesting because he'll, he'll come in with this new thing that he's found out, like the super straight thing. And he goes, and I'm like, what are you, talk- what are you talking about? Why do you think trans people are trying to rape you? Um, and he goes, you know, have a weird conversation with him. He goes off. And you just type it into the internet, like, click, click, click. Oh, this was started by a neo-Nazi. Like, everything he comes up with, it's like, you can literally find the thing. Like, the No Nut November thing, da proud boys, don't wank, incel, neo-Nazis. Um, so I've been writing this stuff up, like, as you have to do with safeguarding, um, writing it up, um, trying to get someone to care about it um but and people have sort of dealt with it they've kind of they've kind of uh contacted the parents the parents are apparently quite supportive they've put blocks on his internet but obviously that's he's, they're always going to be able to get around that kind of stuff i've had issues with him in class because it's like he always wants to preach in the class so it even had the whole thing of like you know literally so i didn't have didn't have computer wrote lgbtqia and i went through them one by one by one in class just to, just to kill a lesson i'm doing it islam and the family and stuff um and just went through all that kind of stuff because kids don't know these things really you assume they do some do some know everything but some just really don't and it's good to just talk about these things and um literally every point you know you mentioned like trans he's like rolls his eyes like oh, here we go and then he's like can i just say something no no, you can't. And he's going, oh, free speech. You know, literally, like, oh, no platforming me. Oh, my right. And then like, at the end of the, I've, it's been difficult. And I've sort of thought about how I do this with him. Because, you, you know, you, the last thing you'll do with these kids is just completely push them away. And actually, the way you get around them is not by, like, killing them with the arguments, but it's, like, building a relationship. So I've, caught, I've got a kind of truce with him where I'm going to, like, if he's got an idea, he can write it down. I'll talk to him at the end of the lesson. Because then it's less performative and I can kind of gradually just call bullshit on these stupid things that he's reading. But it is scary. And I'm having to articulate to management, to LSAs and things, that this is not just like a kid stumbling across something, that that the far right exists. And in the same way that we organise, try and bring people into the union movement, they are doing the same thing. They have strategies, they have things that work, they're much better on the internet than the left, and they are doing things to bring people and they in. have the, the help of the algorithms yeah. and, they, and, they, and it's literally yeah. you get them on a wedge issue like trans kids I've had kids like there was only one gender like chatting at me because I've explained what being trans is um, and like yeah uh, but that is being piped into their brains and I just think what requires improvement is would like to have some training I mean maybe maybe the union will start to think about these kind of things but some training nationally in school for people to realise that white people are being white kids are being radicalized and that that should be dealt with through prevent but prevent doesn't really do that because prevent is basically just race in theory it's there but you try and raise it and no one really cares nothing should be dealt with through prevent well no I think that's yeah. the, 
I, I'm with a new on this one. Uh, no, I just yep. thought it was, I thought it was interesting that um, the way that you deal that you've dealt with it um, is through your behaviour management is relationship building, which is absolutely what's being taken out from what I hear is what the, the time, because it, it does take time. It takes a lot of resources to, yeah. to build relationships that is being taken away. Um, accelerated through COVID, but I would argue that the academization and the, the kind of professional sheen that we've, we've been made to think is, is what teaching is, has taken that um, impetus away from new teachers I would say they they're told not to be themselves not to have conversations in classrooms you know not not to sort of like spend that time um building those relationships and I think I would argue that 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 actually that is the thing that I can envisage saving this kid and I wonder how many um also how many black and uh, black and brown kids get this luxury because I I know anecdotally that there are probably quite a few unaccompanied refugees from Afghanistan who immediately have prevent on them as soon as they mention something about how UK shit. And to be fair, if I were an unaccompanied refugee, I would come over here and think the UK was shit because the home office would be questioning me. I wouldn't have a family. I'd be seen as other and I'd be deemed other and treated as other in every single facet of life, not, not least in ed- my educational sort of like environment. And I just think it's, it's interesting that your school and right that your school has given you the space to do this effectively might not dealing with it, but that's yeah, another it's quite thing. A but, they've made me deal with it. But, but, but yeah. yeah, but I mean, but, but ultimately that's what's happening here. And I, and by default, if not by design, um, I, I think it's a disgrace actually, but it's not disgrace what you're doing. It's disgrace that the school isn't supporting you more. Um, but yeah, I just think that this will not be the picture with with most or a lot of kids who are seen as radical in schools um, by virtue of the fact that they're not probably not all white. So although I'm not saying that this is necessarily a race thing, but in this instance, it's interesting. Well, Sorry, what, yeah, definitely. Uh, what I was going to say, which is interesting um, in the sense like how that, yeah, the far right comes into it all is that I've done the prevent training online recently um I was required to for for work um but anyone can do it so this is um something you can do it takes about 45 minutes if it doesn't all crash which it does relentlessly (laughs) um I had to do it over three days um and it does forget a bit where you are and sometimes have to watch the videos twice but um it's actually weirdly good despite all of that the way that it it's interactive um like i like the the way that it keeps you engaged and the content is actually kind of what you would want in the sense that it does mention far-right people but the thing that the whole thing falls apart um on for me is that they know they need to say all the right things and they do but then at the end when they're giving you the examples of real life names have been changed stories they tell you over and over and over again that this child was de-radicalized because they were then identified that the school took it seriously and then they joined a youth group of like like not like-minded in the sense like people who they got on on with like had um, same interests like there was a, a boy who was becoming far right who enjoyed football so they found some people um some uncles and some cousins and stuff taking football he also went to the youth group to kind of like um sort those sorts of things out and so this 
these efforts that were made, yes, involve family, but you need families there in the first place to rely on to realise the problem, but also involved like government funded youth centres, which are being like systematically closed down. Do they even exist anymore? So there's like these stories are historic and that it wouldn't play out like that anymore. Like fewer and fewer would. So like the prevent, if you watch the prevent training, you go, what's the solution to this? And they do have similar cases to what you're talking about, Nick, but their solution would be get some uncles involved, get some cousins um, who are not um, radicalised, which which in, in truth they, they may be in, in some cases. Um, and then get a youth youth centre um, involved. What are you going to do if if literally the government is up with one breath saying youth centres will fix this, and the other breath saying youth centres are closed? Um, yes, it is down to you, like because there's nothing else. And I don't I don't know how they can do that, and then and then be surprised by the fact that things are getting worse also with economic etc etc situations like it's wild well that's part of its blame isn't it it's essentially um people who have been hard done by by or, or they deem themselves hard done by but generally it'll be people that are on the margins so poor people people that life hasn't necessarily been this glowing aspirational idea of what they see on mtv well sorry god that was such a, i was about to say mtv cribs then how old am i um <laughs> but you know what i mean like keep up the kardashians or whatever um god <laughs> Oh, help me. I'm or like Love um, Island, maybe. Love I don't Island. Know. Yeah, like something new. <laughs> Guess it. Yeah, tell me. Um, You're welcome. But the idea is actually because this life isn't the life that, that you know, they, they've they been sold to, um, it's blame. Who do you blame? Let's find an easy blame target for my problems. Um, not anything to do with me or even anything internal or even the structure that exists, which, by the way, um, and, and, you know, they blame the wrong people. So it will be women. It will be trans people. It will be gay people. It will be black people. It will be Chinese people. It will be anybody that's not the, the, the actual first problem, which of which we've got to say is largely the rich white men of the world. Um, hashtag not all men. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's a way of, and and the problem is now that because the inequality of our society is getting even more easy to see, like the aspirational that lifestyle is even more shoved in your face constantly. You think like the kids, what day to day is social media, it's Instagram, it's the influencers, it's these people literally showing off constantly this life that you can't achieve and why not or it's about easy targets and 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 as and you know nick is right these groups are so well organized they're so well organized and they know who to target and they know how to and they're really insidious because they don't start off going straight away right oh the reason that you've that you're a virgin is because women uh like is is because you know women women should have sex with you women are subhuman and they're only baby receptacles and i bear in mind what i'm saying here is quite on the mild end of some of the stuff i've had to read um but you know it'll just be like they'll go in really mildly by using really mild language and and it's it's a really well-organized thing. And then it's just like anything, isn't it? It's gradually that the reason that you're alone is because women deny you sex and that like, you know, that's just one example. 
But it is, isn't it? Well, they also use like um, like edgelord yeah. humour. That's like quite a key thing. Like, I mean, if you think about like PewDiePie is like the biggest YouTuber and he regularly makes, or you something, I don't know that much, but he makes a joke, let's kill all the Jews. And then when people react to that, like, oh, you can't say that, he's like, I'm just joking. But then what you can do with that in a in, in far right tactic yeah. is you then look, it's like signing a petition on the left. It's like you look who signed it, who got their mates to sign, and you, you then target them and you, you pull them closer. On that, it's like you tell an awful, uh, in inverted commas, joke, and then you see how people react to it, and then you, you, you push on them. Now, like, I painted the picture of this kid as this kind of like, threatening like something out of american history x like he's going to have like a like a swazi tattooed on 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 his shoulder or something uh he's going to start curb stomping people but for a bit more context i spoke to the lsa about this kid and she was like yeah i saw him in the local carnival this is not a cool carnival it's like gloucestershire market town carnival which is just like a kind of halloween type thing uh and she said yeah he thinks he knows everything he thinks he knows everything but at the carnival he was dressed as Woody out of Toy Story. And I went up to him and he pretended to shoot me with a little toy gun. And I pretended that he shot me and like moved out of the way and was like pretending to be scared. And he went, oh no, miss, it's not a real gun. So it's, it's such a weird thing. Cause it's like this kid is a total loser. But no, his, he's not a but loser. His rhetoric, but his rhetoric yeah. is, you know, but in my head, it's also like, okay, he's, he's a harmless like weirdo who just can't, hold down friendships because it just weirds people out and just annoys them on purpose and overreacts and then kids love winding up because it's so funny uh but then at the same time i'm kind of thinking he's only like a couple of black pills away from yeah a a nazi lunchbox yeah well this is the problem though because this is the problem is actually this is the time where it it is kind of on that it, it could be on that edge isn't it because again he's perfect perfect fodder Someone who's a bit of an outsider, a bit out, yeah, vulnerable outsider, alone, not necessarily accepted by their peers, doesn't have a strong friendship group, probably has like not a lot of self esteem. Again, you say quite feels a need to be quite performative sometimes. Um, Classic, classic target. Were you in my prevent training video? Because um, I do, my only memories of the prevent training video were um, Dobby having a part in it and um md from oh, harry potter and peep show so i don't know if they're comrades or not i'm just really confused like, i don't know what to do dobby from peep show i think dobby from like, peep it doesn't show. sound like a prevent yeah, video it's like a weird dream you had Anu. grass up muslims <laughs> i mean i don't know so i think it was real Here's my position on it. Um, I will fulfill my legal obligations under the safeguarding terms of my job. You know, I will report what I see and hear in the classroom and in conversations. I'll do I'll do what I'm con- contractually and legally obliged to do. But look what this same government did to Shemima Begum. Look how they have punished her for what she did as a teenager, even being associated with terror and she's no longer a British citizen. You know, like, I, I don't think I can in good conscience, you know, uh, take take a proactive step to advise that a kid gets reported to prevent. You know, I, 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 I just have such contempt for this government based on the way it treats children. You know, I could probably get in trouble for what I just said, but... Uh, 
fuck the government. I don't think they've got the, in- the best interest of children at heart. I don't think prevent has actually prevented any terrorism because of all the other underlying factors that it totally fails to address. The carceral solution is not a solution. Uh, uh, <laughs> I- I'm amazed we haven't had more terror than we have you know, in this country over the last <laughs> well, 20 years. But... There's more to come, don't worry. <laughs> I yeah. guess it depends how. Guess it depends how you define terror and who's meeting it out. I think our government is the 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 leading terrorist on the scoreboard there. But ah, um, oh, spicy takes. Um, All right. So moving on to our next one, we have Anu, who's going to share her requires improvement. Okay, so it's a bit of a short one. I'm going to throw it out to you guys to see what you think about it. But um, the uh, CEO of Oasis uh, Academy Trust um, was recently um, one of 20, um, I'm going to quote from the Bristol Post here, influential Bristol figures um, who signed a letter condemning the uh, in inverted commas violence that occurred after um, the first, I believe, um, Bristol March um, to protest against the police and crime bill um, upcoming debated. Uh, So for those listeners who don't know, um, the protest was uh, peaceful, started at, um, I think it was at 4pm, ended up sort of um, stopping outside Bridewell Police Station in sort of central Bristol. Um, and after sort of, you know, dozens and dozens of police ended up sort of marking their territory outside the um, police station uh, whilst holding batons and riot shields. Um, for, for some reason, this peaceful process turned violent, um, which resulted in some very good photo shoots uh, of uh, poli- police vans on fire, um, skateboarders sort of, or wheelie plankers um, planking out in front of these fires and um, just... Yeah, it was it was horrendous. People got really hurt. Um, allegedly, most of those people that got really hurt were police officers. Uh, that turned out to be bullshit. Um, but anyway, yeah. post this um, huge, huge police PR disaster, I would say, um, a letter was published. Like I said, I'll reiterate, 20 influential Bristol figures signed this letter condemning the um, actions of the protesters as violent. Well, they said, but they also said these people don't speak for Bristol. Yeah. So, so the key, the key thing here, these people don't speak for Bristol. So Steve Chalk was one of these, the signatories. Steve Chalk doesn't live in Bristol. So this is the first problem here. I'm not sure how he can speak for for the people of Bristol when he doesn't live here. Um, Secondly, this is a guy who back in May 2020, um, when all guns blazing, and from what I've seen, he was quoted in every single national newspaper um, saying that the the majority of teachers who thought that reopening schools was um, a, would be a, a murderous scandal um, were all rather middle class. That's in inverted commas. This is what he said. So he instructed all 35 of his academies to open in June 2020. Um, so my question is, the thing that I want to throw out is, who's the violent one? 
the guy that instructed all 35 of his schools to open during a pandemic against the scientific advice, possibly um, causing the deaths, well, at least the infection rate to to jump, potentially several deaths, who knows, Um, or the protesters who were explicitly trying to stand up for people who are going to fall foul of an authoritarian police bill. Like, who's the violent one? This is my question. Well, Steve Chalk um, was also the one who was proudly boasting that his schools had bought up all the PPE. So that's kind of why he he was in a position with Oasis. I remember hearing him, I think it was with one of our union comrades, wasn't it? She was on the radio, the local radio with him. And this absolute knob was just saying how his schools will be fine because right at the start, they just bulk bought all this PPE. So they're going to be the first ones to open. First ones out the gates. Yes, we're going to win this pandemic. Um, Three levels of progress in every kid. (laughs) Yeah. Three levels of viral progress in every kid. (laughs) This is the same. This is the same guy who's... um, whose trust has, has taken over the contract for the Medway Secure School. I think it's the only secure school in the country. Um, they've renamed it, so it's some other sort of like... Uh, what's the word when you use a word to mask the reality of something? Euphemism. Euphemism. That's the one. I, um, I, I do know. I do know words. So this euphemistically named something like I don't know. Alternative provision. No, it's Happy like, fun times. Yeah. The regeneration Fuck. school or some some horrible horrible kind of name like that. So you know, this is the guy that's going to be happy to present over a, a, an institution that locks up children um you know with absolutely no no incentive to rehabilitate them because actually they're you know they haven't actually been excluding that many kids during the pandemic so now they've got a huge waiting list and they need to justify the funding for this school by plunking you know x number of, of data drops into this school like um yeah. So, any any other takes on who's the violent one? Who's the one serving? The, who are the people serving their communities here? Steve Chalk, or uh, the protesters standing up for their fellow like GRT um, members of community, or you know, like black people that are going to be absolutely, you know, who are disproportionately stopped and searched, and who will suffer at the hands of like this kind of annoying protest um, or lock you up sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's phenomenal that that, that this that this letter can be published and that Steve Chalk can put his name to it. Yeah, and like the outrage, the, the you know, oh, this is a thing that I'm going to put my letter to. But when serving Met officers are actually found out to be neo Nazis, number one, <laughs> or number two, actually raping and murdering women. No, yeah. silence. A waiting trial. Great. Yeah, it's fine. We don't say anything about fucking But we all know he did it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, that's... It's interesting, isn't it? The things that you decide to put your name to and what that says about you as a person. Like, how all of these things can happen. You can be absolutely silent. Not to mention, okay, well, we know full well that the Bristol police lied lied about the broken bones and the uh, punctured lung. None of that happened. Okay, that that has been reported. Uh, not as wide as it should have been. Um, so, so just, yeah, uh, 
absolute I, I was going to say a really bad word then, but not a nice man. <laughs> I mean, what, one thing that, again, if we have any listeners that aren't in Bristol, uh, they might not know that the Avon and Somerset police are famous for tasering their race relations advisor in the face, not once, but twice. Oh, yeah. Uh, Russ, Russ Judah. Like, yeah, kind of solidarity up, Russ Judah. Upstanding yeah. member of the local community. Um, you know, again, it it's, can't be an easy gig to do race relations with the police, but they're literally misidentified, definitely misidentified in the first time. The second time it looks like just spite. And then they also tried to smear him when he, when he complained yeah. um, and like stitch him up on some kind of account. So that was really a really interesting case. When again, we're like arguing with melts over the police saying, oh, I think the police do do a cracking job. It's like, really? Really? <laughs> that, there was what, permanent, skills, permanent, yeah. permanent damage from the the tasering that was done. I think it affects him physically like to this day. Um, I believe... He can't really work, can he? Yeah. And even his like speech, I think, has been affected to the point where what he, you know, for all this, it would be really great if he could speak to everyone about it, um, come to talks and stuff. But when he does, and he does, but it's a challenge because to yeah to hear him clearly is is difficult which is just just adds insult literally to injury um and there's no consequences for that police officer who did that and, and again uh, so, sorry charlie um an important piece of context as well as this uh tasering incident of the race relations advisor what have the avon and somerset constabulary uh, busied themselves with in the run-up to these protests uh they've been evicting travelers and evicting squats they've been quite literally targeting the very communities that are going to be targeted in this bill and then wonder why they get a, 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 a bit of a fierce local response, especially when the violence at the first protest was precipitated by protesters sitting down, you know, and, and you know, they, they have felt completely um, emasculated following the ditching of Edward Colston's statue in the docks. They took a lot of shit from the right for being too soft and letting that shit go down. So I, what, we're, we're, it's blowback from both sides, basically. You fuck over people living in squats and living in caravans, they're going to get really fucking pissy with you because their lives are on the fucking thin edge, you know, anyway. Um, and and then, then you've got these cops that have got something to prove and, and are drafting in all the most right-wing psychos from all the neighbouring counties to come for the ruck you know I, I, I very little of that has reached the reportage although a worthy credit to bristol cable authentic independent local media they've mentioned this shit and although i think there's no like substantial proof of it to this point um i saw people who knew somebody who was at the first protest i don't know if you guys saw about this um a girl a woman 18 at least one who um was raided um following her attendance at the protests because of what she supposedly did i don't think she even did what they said she did um but the tactic they use is apparently one they don't talk about that they do this very often but it's where they go, um, one person pretending to be a delivery um, driver, and they knock on the door. And when you open the door, then all the riot police um, barge in, and they knock down, like, got well, they didn't have to knock down the door, they got through that way. Um, but she, it was a, f- um, a housemate who answered. And so this girl's, like, half-dressed as they come in. They have no paperwork, no 
nothing that they left her with. So that's what I mean, that there's no proof. She didn't wasn't able to video or anything like that. But I think they might... Now I feel like I'm just saying things like this is off the no, head. No, 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 that's, that's, yeah. they, they, didn't they... They restrained her, maybe to the bed, but definitely in a way that she couldn't... I yeah. think there's, there's more than one incident. Yeah. She had a panic attack, didn't yeah. she? There is more than one incident, yeah. Yeah, she, she was fully panicking. And yeah, the... the from what I hear that happened more than once. And the idea that they're using techniques for organised crime um, on 18-year-old girls is, yeah. This is shocking. Like, and also, like, sorry, but within weeks of the whole Sarah Everard vigil, within weeks of that absolute shambles... Um, and the, and the heavy-handedness. I mean, we saw the photos of, like, you know, this quite slight woman being literally sat on by two male police officers. Like, you know, that's just one example of the, the things that went down. And, and how then... It, it's quite scary, isn't it, that you think surely you wouldn't feel emboldened enough at this particular moment in time to do that, to think, oh, actually, you know what? considering what happened then we probably need to play this we probably shouldn't be as heavy-handed and we need to really think about this but the fact they still feel this emboldened is quite frankly terrifying i mean there's no recourse though is there there's no there's no you know there's no comeuppance um so so the and it and it's sort of it's kind of threaded into the fabric of what they do and it's the same in the it's the same in the prisons. Like the, you know, our remit is re- rehabilitation. Quite a large part of of why you know the governor's remit is rehabilitation of prisoners. But um, you know, none of the employees know that. <laughs> so they, they, it's a pure mm. pure law and order and control in there. And there's very reminiscent. Um, very reminiscent of what happened, you know, this whole kind of machismo thing that Lee was talking about earlier, sort of, you know, essentially the protesters came to the police's yard uh, and messed it up. So they're going to defend their yard. And and it's, you know, one thing I notice about working the prison is that these prison officers come from the same places that the prisoners come from you know they went to the same schools they're from the same communities it is only a hair breadth of of luck or education or family support that means that the prison officers aren't in prison and it's the prisoners that are that are you know like they there is no and that and so i think there's um there's a huge issue here with with, with you know like how how the officers in the criminal justice system the employees see themselves and what's being done to to make them any different like you know to to support them to be better not that i again i in the same way that i don't think prevent can be rehabilitated i don't think the police or criminal <coughs> justice system can i think it should be abolished as it as it currently stands i think there's you know the imagination means that i know there's something better um but yeah, it, it's it's interesting to, to see to see how they view themselves and why there is no then accountability because there's no need for it actually. It's it's the idea and as well, like, you know, you hear the counter argument, but you know, there are then it's not all police officers, some are genuinely go into the job because they want to do right by people and they want to serve and I'm like, okay, fine. Maybe there are the good the, the some of them well-intentioned fine okay so doesn't change the fact that the system that they work in is corrupt and fucked 
Like you can be as good as you want working in that system, but when the system itself is so completely screwed and messed up and skewed against the most vulnerable people in society, and let's, let's face it, it's mainly designed to, or was designed in the first place to protect property. Is that true? Am I... Am I talking? Uh, yeah, and police, colonial uh, subjects. Yeah, like, well. you know, this idea that actually it's about more protecting wealth and and, police, uh, and the material interests than people, let's face it, because, <laughs> hello, three was it 3%, I think, suddenly, the rape conviction or whatever it is in the UK, it's freaking terrible. Um, and so this idea that, yeah, even if you can be a good, well-intentioned person in this system, uh, but okay, then what, what are they going to do about it? If you are that good person, wait, you need to be whistleblowing left, right and centre. You need to be actively organising within your system to make it better. Because otherwise, if you're just going to stand by and let it happen, then as good and well-intentioned as you are, you're not actually doing the right thing and, you, and you're just you're letting it happen. So I guess the question for us is how do we manipulate all of the children that we teach into taking a fuck the police kind of viewpoint and uh in terms of my personal pedagogy uh i find i have to do a lot on crime and punishment and it's actually not that hard you 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 literally just show them this these are the people in prison they've been excluded they're black they've got SEND, or they're in the care system Mm. sorry little jimmy who is all of these things i'm not saying that you're gonna go into prison although the statistics say you might but it's like, okay, here's the reconviction. Here's the, here's the recidivist rates from prison. Two thirds reoffend. Um, then we go like, what are the causes of crime? Because you're trying in RE, you're trying to get them to kind of see the Christian viewpoint is like forgiveness, um, rehabilitation, all these things. Punishment is fine as long as it does these things, makes them better people, makes them not do it again, protects society. And you just go through, and they just go, oh, it doesn't do any of these things, does it? it doesn't do any of these things. No, it doesn't. It does, and it's good because they can see the behaviour techniques in schools. Like they're yes. living under these things, and they go, "Okay, I've been sent to detention hundreds of times. It's never going to make me do things differently because I still think the rule is stupid." Can I just so. can I just say on that? It's really interesting that Nick p- picked that up. So, um, in prison, you each prisoner has a set of case notes that are unique to them, and anyone can enter a note if it's relevant to the the prisoner's context, and someone else needs to know about it. And I regularly go on and uh, have a read of of my students' notes or people that I've encountered that may become my students. And a lot of the language when it comes to discipline is exactly the same as the language you hear in schools when a student hasn't done something right or haven't followed a rule and they've been sent to an isolation room or equivalent and it is you know honestly they may as well write in there x was a naughty boy today so i locked him behind his behind his cell and it is is no golden time today but it is is, um, (laughs) you know it's kind of what's the word it's amazing amazing to see the exact same sort of attitudes patronizing um belittling language used with these grown adults who are then you know very easily locked behind their doors and forgotten about um i just think that's just a really sad sad (laughs) sad thing that i have to encounter every day Uh, and anu i i think 
what we've seen in those uh, self-appointed tossers who put together their condemnation of the uh, the violence, inverted commas, at the Bristol protests, um, they are the handmaidens to this system. Uh, like if you're, if you're a Labour councillor and you're condemning the protesters and not the government... Who are you helping here? You know, like, I, I, I think a lot of people have shown their true colours in their failure to respond adequately to to the pressing issues of our times and our basic civil liberties and the conduct of the fucking police. Like, every time you're talking about, ah, oh, the criminals, man, that's that's who's really pissing me off today. Like, you know, as... as, as, as sorry, I did a big gesture there with my hands. <laughs> To indicate reality, I know that probably doesn't come across well on a on a podcast format, but um, no, um, I don't have much respect for the self-appointed people who've um, saying saying the protesters don't speak for Bristol. I'm not sure those people do either. Yeah, I think the final thing I'm going to say on this as well is the gall of Steve Chalk, who I think I'm right in saying he studied PPE at Oxford to talk about... Um, is that yeah, why I bought it all, is it? <laughs> to talk about um, his, his objection to the reopening of schools back in May 2020, to couch it in terms of that that impetus being rather middle class is some sort of horrible kind of sheep in wolf's clothing, bad faith, gaslighting. Um, that's that's obviously quite common amongst the sort of liberal elite because they think it scores them some sort of brownie points somewhere with some demographic. Um, And I just want to say that, yeah, on records, of all the violent people I've ever heard of, Steve Chalk is uh, is up there. Absolutely. Well put, I think. All right. On to the last one. This one has a bit more positivity in it, chosen especially Please. to be last. Uh, only by the end. <laughs> yeah. We, we have got another deep dive into the fucking bizarro world of the worst people in the world. You know, um... All right. <laughs> I'm just offering a nugget of hope so that, you know, our listeners don't just drop off being like, well, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Here, <laughs> so. It's called requires improvement. It's not like, well, we didn't set ourselves <laughs> anything easy by doing this. Put the world to rights. Like, yeah. I think it was just worth, worth that little comment. Let's I mean, be yeah, kind to ourselves. <laughs> All right. So, um, my requires improvement focuses on a lot of people exactly like Steve Chalk. You might say they represent a cultural and sociological and psychosocial phenomenon. Um, that, like, I, I've already said it. I, I do genuinely think um, some of these people are the worst people in the world. And do you know how you can tell? It's because they're people like Steve Chalk who uh, will happily send his staff into a COVID-infested workplace because uh, he's worried about the stats. Um, um, but there's people like the head teacher of Pimlico Academy in uh, Westminster in London. Um, th- this yeah. this man, yeah, man, this guy. Uh, he, I, the reason I want to talk about this guy is that he has made news. So I imagine that, that very recent news. Uh, I imagine some of my listeners will already be familiar with the controversy. But just to spell it out, um, this head teacher. Sucks at his job so badly, his own students went out on strike against him, yeah. and uh, the the staff is shortly to due. F- you know, there there is a, a sizable section of the staff that were both out on the strike and formally balloting for industrial action uh, against this guy. Wow! 
Um, but what you should know about uh, this this head teacher of Pimlico Academy is that he was chosen as the right man for the job. Uh, I, I want to return to this word emblematic. I think he is uh, he is our archetypal of the uh, education establishment in this country as has developed over the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, we're always talking about on this podcast, but like, you know, we're talking about neoliberalism in education. We're talking about the kind of people that facilitate neoliberalism in education. And, um, you know, the, the, the head teacher of Pimlico Academy, I, I've got an article with his name right here. You'd think I would have actually remembered his name, but it's because I've got some other people in mind who are the real... You know, basically, the, the head teacher of Pimlico Academy is basically a foot soldier in this army. I mean, I, I'm sure he's a true believer, but he's not calling the shots. Uh, as as we sometimes bring up, um, head teachers rarely call the shots anymore. If you're working in one of these corporate multi-academy trusts, you're there to do one job. You're sent in as the Terminator. Um, so this chap's name is Daniel Smith. And um, I, I will post some Memorable links. Day, man. Memorable Whiten. name. Yeah. Mr. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Daniel Smith, right? And uh, I didn't have to look very hard to find a ton of dirt on this guy. Um, some really like uh, even-handed, almost I would say moderate, like education blogs. Um, just can't help but point out: was this the guy? to send to that school. Um, so if you don't know Pimlico Academy, it had like a really good reputation in the good old days. Uh, it was a, a very central London academy uh, to which many um, sort of uh, left-wing luminaries of, of the like sort of the, the last half of the 20th century, they sent their kids there. It was one of the best state schools in London. Uh, but it went to shit uh, after, after the Thatcher years because most schools did. Um, and the solution was to, uh, you know, New Labour, um, let it kind of muddle on. There wasn't a huge difference under under New Labour from ninety seven to twenty ten, uh, and and the demographic changed substantially in that time. Uh, it is now a majority BAME. Most of them are either Bangladeshi or Pakistani students because uh, the areas that feed into Westminster, the only kids going to state schools that central in London are poor kids, right? Because if you're a rich kid living in central London, you are going to a private school or one of the the managed state schools that the only way you can get into it is if you can afford a half a million or million pound residence to then be in the catchment zone you know like there's a lot of um mps who proudly advertise the fact that they went to state school but they actually went to a state school that you can only access as as a millionaire basically by by owning that kind of property in the the catchment areas of one of the most expensive Have cities to live one yeah. of the most expensive cities to live in, in the world <laughs> like, um once the Tories got in in 2010, Pimlico became like uh, one of their experiment, experiment zones, right? They were going to take the New Labour Academy project and make it privatised, make it beyond scrutiny, make it, you know, a multi-academy trust, a, a, a weird hybrid of charity and business. And they use like, uh, you know, words like trusts. Um, it, it, just the, on, the ontology of it is is... Very new, uh, very radical, very untested because it's failing in America just like it's failing over here. Uh, but basically, um, Dan, Dan Smith, I'm glad that I came last because what I'm talking about here is what's ruining the atmosphere at Lawrence School. It's what's, you know, um, hurting the kids that Charlie is seeing on her playgrounds. Um, Daniel Smith is a proponent of tough 
love, right? He he is a hardline micromanager. And um, the reason he came to prominence, the reason I was able to easily find dirt on this guy is that, um, bef- you know, in, in, in across his career, he's got this reputation for... Um, threatening legal action against parents who refuse to sign home learning agreements right um, uh, uh, yeah like uh, even when he he, he didn't st- he didn't start in an academy he started in a state school but tried to, like sent he sent like threatening letters to parents about their code of conduct and he he threatened to refer them to basically the social services he he threatened to get like a parenting order against no- normal families who might have just not understood why weird new documents are coming in through the post that suddenly they're being involved in a much more like weird legalistic uh, punitive carceral language about their 11 or 12 year old kid you know like, um so this guy's obviously a nut job or, or or he he is exactly the nut job they want like um yeah. this this idea that parents should feel oh shit i'm going to get in trouble if my kid doesn't do x you know he really wants to ramp up um you know just a, a lot of the policies that uh you know a ridiculous focus on uniform uh absolute conformity without tolerance so you know uh you know if you make more than one mistake you're fucked you get sent to isolation you get ex- ex- you know um excluded from school for two or three days and here's the thing i've i've interviewed a friend who i'm gonna have to like really try and protect in, in terms of telling his story because uh, he is still a teacher and he enjoyed a successful career at pimloco academy because uh, he's an amazing teacher really lovely guy uh and you know he left there on good terms but the things he saw at pimloco academy even before this daniel smith head teacher showed up so the reason my friend knows so much about this is that it is directly run by the Minister for Academies. All right. Uh, we're talking about a guy called Lord Nash. What's his actual fucking name? I don't want to call him Lord. Oh, I've got, it's on the, it's, <laughs> the, it's Nash. On the, uh, the Nash. Uh, John, John, oh, John Nash. John. <laughs> or Baron Nash. Uh, in fact, full name, John, Alf- John Alfred Stoddard Nash. There we are. Um, so basically, he is the kind of guy that was entrusted with running schools once the Conservatives came to power. Uh, he's both a minister and a governor of Pimlico Academy, and he's a trustee of uh, basically Futures Academy, which is, again, another typically anodyne corporate name for a huge entity that's going to be running quite a lot of schools and receiving a fuck ton of public money to do it. Um they also got, they were one of the first schools to get like a new building under the Tories. So what's made it difficult is to tease out like any success that they had. Was it just a case that they threw money at it, both in terms of like facilities and staffing and just management capacity or whatever? Or, or, or was it like organic change or just good cohorts or they changed the goalposts to make the school seem better because it suddenly fitted with what Ofsted were looking for. Like it's difficult to tease out the extent to which Pimlico under the Tories, at least from like, yeah, 2010 to the last two years, um, it did improve its results. It did, you know, if you accept that as a metric of a school success, and I don't think any of us do, but they did achieve a bump in results across that that eight-year period. But basically, um, any notion of sane management was was removed from Pimlico Academy once this John Smith guy has got in. 
Um, and and the problem is, is that people people like uh, this Daniel Smith, he he's being appointed directly by Lord Nash. These people are headhunted. They go on like uh, residential courses with other managers of this type. They take qualifications that are specifically geared to managements of this type. Um, they have a, quite a high media profile because we talked about people like uh, Catherine Burble Singh, uh, one of Lauren's favourites. Um, she's regularly on TV on the radio. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the, pol- the politics of dog shit, but the way they treat children is worse. Like I, that's why that's why we're so fired up this episode because we're talking about people like Stephen Stephen like is it Clark? What is the name? Chalk. Stephen Chalk. 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 I don't think that guy really cares about children. <laughs> I can't see anything about what he does. I mean, uh, Dan Smith doesn't care about children, especially black and brown ones, because uh, he uh, insisted, uh, coming in and as a head teacher in the last two years, uh, he basically decided he would fly the, you know, the British flag outside the school every day, even though, as my friend told me, most of the children there regard themselves as Londoners. And, and that's actually a distinctive regional identity. And then they're like, yep. either pa- they're mostly, as I say, Pakistani or Bengali Fucking to fly hell. this, <laughs> you know, u- union, union Jack outside the school every day. A literal yeah. symbol of the oppression of your, like your your ancestors. What the Lauren? What if they go in and they, they they see the flag and they think, oh, that reminds me of the railways that the mother. <laughs> That the mother yeah, country built for us to trains. use for us to use to go on holiday. <laughs> you were the railway. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh goodness. Fuck me. I mean, and and <sighs> so um. Uh, there's a load of issues that do seem to have uh, a really racial profile to them, uh, measures brought in by this head teacher. So um, there was a complete failure to address any of the Black Lives Matter protests in the curriculum or in assemblies or even be remarked upon. And that didn't go down well with 70 or 80 percent of the student populace. Uh, then there was a clamp down on uniform and hairstyles in particular, uh, in that any hairstyle that could obstruct another student's view uh, is, is, you know, verboten. <laughs> And you, know, you will lose your education if you persist with that hairstyle. Is the is the position? Um, uh, obviously, this targets students of uh, you know Afro yeah. Caribbean descent and also anyone who wants any individuality. And also, couldn't you just move the desks or change the angles? You know, I, most of the well, kids tall, in my classroom. Tall could, kids. Tall kids. Yeah. What are we going to do way. about them? Yeah. <laughs> and also, define obstructive view. Like what? Sorry, what's a, yeah, like, it, oh, sorry, it is so insidious. And, and you combine that with just a, a, you know, a complete adherence to the Michael Gove curriculum, uh, a huge overemphasis on like knowledge over skills, depth of knowledge. So basically try, trying to target kids, uh, I hate this phrase, cultural capital, you know, like a, a very patrician, very command and control culture. And again, this comes directly from Lord Nash. Like that, Dan, Dan Smith is merely the most um, aggressive permutation of this. He's only doing in greater increments than the, everything that is built up to this point. It's it's in slow motion, but it's happening all the time. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's structural violence. Uh, that's what these people are here to hand out. And it, 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 I, I've seen them in my career. And sometimes yeah. I, I, on, on the best moments of my career, these people have been defeated. But actually, 80% of the time, they seem to be winning. Uh <laughs> And again, I, I want to really bring it back to Lord Nash because uh, I did get a few juicy, juicy nuggets uh, about this guy just in terms of how, how he affected the running of Pimlico Academy, at least allegedly. I'm going to have to be all like, 
put this in air quotes, like this may or may not happen. I'm not alleging any factual events occurred, but, um, you know, uh, I overheard. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> The, uh, Lord Nash um, and his wife is involved in the in the sort of running of the trust and the governance of Pimlico Academy. Um, they had their background is not in education, obviously. They of actually made not. them. They actually made their money uh, in the finance world. And oh. if you um, if you check out Lord Nash's current register of interests. Boy, does he own a lot of shares uh, in, in all the best in all the best companies like Amazon and like Care UK that are just milking the NHS for all their fucking worth, you know. So this guy is nice guy. He's played the market smart, and now he knows how to run schools. Uh, uh, he he knows how to run schools so well that. Um, you know, allegedly one day he decided that his daughter, who was undoubtedly very clever, you know, she she she'd um she'd done uh, a degree at either Oxford or Cambridge. Can't can't remember which one which, but I'm pretty sure it was in ancient history. Um, fresh fresh out of uni, no doubt headed for great things. Uh, but what she really wanted to be was a teacher, and so uh, before you know any formal training occurred, she was given a lunchtime club and a year seven class in Pimlico Academy. Me. Um, and you know there were concerns raised about this given her total lack of experience you didn't tell me you didn't tell me this was a heartwarming story about um struggling parents who just wanted the best for their daughter <laughs> <laughs> i uh, just i'm not well, no, sure i don't think just, they did because uh, they were you? you didn't tell no. me this was about that <laughs> This is the outstanding. Lord Nash, your parenting <laughs> has been outstanding. He loves his daughter. He's just doing what any reasonable dad would do. Yeah. And just because it's literally not allowed for any other dad to do it, doesn't mean it's not a good dad thing to do. Uh, we well, I, I will say, I don't think he thought very clearly about it. Because uh, obviously the other staff uh, raised concerns about this just from a basic safeguarding and... Is this is this how education works now? Your dad's the boss, so you get to do it. Like, <laughs> like, it, like no, you know, it wasn't even like a, a job as such. It was you were basically exposing these kids to volunteer labour without contract. I just think it was a a ballsy move to do from even like a management risk perspective because it did go badly. It went really fucking badly. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, um, it didn't go well. Um, but there was nothing that there was nothing the current head teacher could do about it. So this is the one that was in in post, you know, during the sort of con condemn, uh, you know, uh, coalition government and recent years. Not the same head teacher as the one who's caused the strike in his own school. Uh, but th that that head teacher could say nothing to Lord Nash in terms of. So this is my school that I'm meant to run. Yeah, Sh should I have to give your daughter? you know, access to children, you know, I'm sure she's got the DBS check, but bloody hell, you know, it, she threw her weight around. And if, if other, if normal cold faced teachers had raised concerns about this, this young lady, uh, they themselves were accused of bullying. Uh, it, it didn't work out so much that, and Charlie will hate this, but they, they, they sent the daughter of Lord Nash having failed at secondary she got a go at primary as well and uh, allegedly she was given a year six class um, but what was interesting about it is that the the middle like various teachers from Pimlico Academy were invited to come observe her now she was a primary school teacher <laughs> 
to see Amazing. how good she was. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> It was the most sort of stage managed and rehearsed because they've all been fed their lines and like given the lesson three times already to like puppet like responses about ancient history in year six. It, I, I, like the, the, obviously the, my, my sources for this story tell it as a humorous story, but I think it's really fucking bleak really fucking bleak the, and and i think it, it's a little detail that tells you a lot about the psychology and the attitudes of of some of the most powerful people in education of this country i know i've i know i've talked at length guys and i'm going to shut the hell up now but i hopefully i've given you a flavor of what we're dealing with here well, how else are they going to suppress the young, you know, those young people that are starting to, you know, think about climate change and, you know, actually get out on the streets and actually be be quite active. Um, you know, these young anti how are we going to how are we going to make sure that we suppress any kind of I, I genuinely think it's it's a larger issue, which is the Tory government or the neoliberal elite, whatever you want to call the lovely lizard creatures. Um Actually, I'm not going to saying that because lizards are actually really cool and I, I think that's really insulting. I've just yes. really realised it's really unfair. Sorry, we, lizards. We, punch, we punch up on this show. Yeah, yeah. and they're useful. We, we have been punching down to lizards. But anyway, so these horrible um, excuses of human excrement, uh, it's clearly it's a culture war. It's so much, it's a way of going, shit, actually... It's, it's anti-wokeness, in inverted commas, however you want to put it, in a massive scale. It's like, how else are we going to suppress these kids? We haven't heard about the uh, outstanding, though, because you talk about kids being suppressed or oppressed, but um, there was a, there's a sort of a happy ending, well, a mid, mid, happy midpoint here, isn't there? No, uh, the reason this has been in the news in the last couple of fortnights is because the students ain't going to take this shit anymore. They're, they're, they're mad as hell, uh, and they have every right to be. Um, basically, there was a, a fully organised walkout of students. They set a date and a time, and they just went fuck your rules. We're not going to be educated under this fucking regime, under this system. Fair place of the staff as well. There was a, a vote of no confidence passed in the head teacher. Lol. This guy, and, and I've, here's the thing, I know it sounds like an egregious case, and it is, but it's not untypical. Like any, any strike that I've been aware of or involved in in education has involved a leader who is fundamentally refusing to compromise or listen to the people around him. Uh, and yeah, it's... it's I wonder what that's like. Uh, I'm struggling for the words here, but it's repugnant is how, I, is how I describe the approach to education by a lot of these tough love, right wing Tory donors, as well as Tory adherents. You know, they are fueling the fire. They are they are its accelerants. They are the catalyst in the decay and the hatred that we see. Um, what else can I fucking say? But I want to try and steer it back to the positive um yeah they they're basically about to win the head teacher hasn't resigned yet but he his position has in my view become untenable i think if he persists the union will press it to a strike and they'll easily they've won the points uh they've won the points on the flag and the haircuts though didn't they they won that like straight away the kids went out occupied the playground they were chatting we want change and black lives matter and they were um and this is this this is the thing there's uh i'm gonna try and like send this pod to the kids that we know that are on, they're on Twitter and see if they'll they'll talk to us because it's really interesting because they, they've been doing organising. They've been doing organising. It looks like 
they printed out little sheets. They were working out, look, if we call this action, will we get enough people out to make it work? Or we will, will we just get in trouble? They, they hypothesized. The thing I've seen, it's like, um, they were like, if you're told to go to isolation, just ignore them. They cut, what, what are they going to do? They're like, they knew that there'd be distant for it. And they're like, well, look, no numbers. There's more of us. So fucking. And they also yes, wrote um, demands, like amazing yeah. political demands, like on like two sides of A4 photocopied in the fucking school library or whatever, which has got like more depth and purpose and clarity than the entire Labour uh, <laughs> local, election, local election thing that they're, that they're standing on. Um, um, so, like, yeah, mass, massive solidarity with these kids and, like, really want to learn from them and we need to be documenting this. And it's, like, it's difficult because it's, like, you want to... How do we... Because we're kind of getting to that point where with the, with, the, with the climate strikes. It was, like, how can we teach them the stuff they need to shut the school down without getting in trouble and getting fired. And, and to an and extent... not patronising them And not patronising well, them as well. And to an extent also not, like... Leading them. Yeah, doing it in a way that they're taking charge and also no parent could ever think it was weird what we were feeding them because, you know, fair enough, whatever, we shouldn't overstep the mark and things. But, like, yeah, so these kids have sort of done something. And like any of these strikes and protests and, to an extent, you know, revolutions they spread and they inspire people and they, they encourage future things. Um, so yeah, I mean, as part of the labor movement, we should be trying to get to the bottom of this and see what works and, um, see how we can spread it really. So if you're listening, please talk to us. And I know um, they basically had, I think they've had like millions of people. Yeah, They got it, they got inundated with, but we uh, are the best, we are, we are the best people to, uh, talk to. Also, I was, if this is the person listening, I also thought you were a teacher because you were so mature. And I've been following, because they followed no more exclusions and they were tweeting stuff. I was like, that's really, what they're saying is like quite clever. And then um, realised only very later that they were a student. I was like, oh, great. They, they know more than my members in my, than any of you members in my school about politics. It's amazing. <laughs> but I mean, fair play to those. I mean, well done. Big up solidarity to all of these students that, took a stand and did what was right direct action gets the goods i know it's a well-used phrase but they absolutely styled it and uh yeah i i i only hope for the resignation of this head teacher and lord nash and the resignation of the entire government nice all right, so that's a wrap. You've been listening to Requires Improvement. We've been your hosts, Charlie, Anu, Lee, Lauren, and Nick. Find us on Twitter on at RequiresPod. Please follow, like, and share, or even send us a message and let us know what you think requires improvement. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Cheerio.